0: Can take your Bibles and go to Philippians, chapter one. Philippians chapter one. More over here. Over there. Oh, you're good. So thankful for these testimonies, these brothers and sisters who are serving the Lord in this way. I'm even thankful for how this lesson and those testimonies need to go together. Uh, What we're going to look at this evening, we do this occasionally when we move to a new book of the Bible. We're going to look at how to study the epistles. In general, I want to equip you. I want to help train us to think carefully and well about how to read the Bible. But what I want us to be clear about as a church family is our understanding and our training is not meant to end in a cul-de-sac. It's not meant to end with us so that our knowledge can grow and grow but we do nothing with it to serve other people. And that's where we can and we should be asking ourselves, how does God want me to use what I've been given? Maud's testimony was perfect for that and should be an encouragement and a challenge to each of us. How does God want me to use this and pass this along? Certainly we should be doing that in our homes, but are there other believers around us and are there unbelievers around us where we can be sharing what we are learning about God through His Word. All right, we'll be in Philippians 1 in just a few moments. This is very much uh, a lesson that's helping us think through um, how to think about epistles. So um, I know there is a big game tonight. I know we're looking forward to that and the fellowship we'll have. Um, so I promise I will move as quickly as possible and we'll, we'll end on time. Randolph Tate, who wrote a book about biblical interpretation. Points to the necessity of distinguishing between genres. Now, that's a weird word that we don't say very often. Tell me what a genre is. Somebody raise your hand. What's a genre? Yes, Katie. It's like a type of literature or music or whatever. Yeah, excellent. So, somebody give me the different types of literature, the different genres that we find in our Bibles. <clears throat> Name some of them. <clears throat> Poetry. Okay. That's a text type. Absolutely. So what book of the Bible has poetry that we think of the most? Psalms. Okay. What other uh, genres are there? Historical. Historical. Okay. Old Testament narrative, right? Narrative. A lot of the Bible is narrative. Okay. What else? Prophecy. Okay. Prophecy. There's prophecy all throughout the old Testament, especially we have some in the new Testament. What's another one? Okay, history, absolutely. The history of Israel, and that's given to us a certain um, information we're supposed to know. It's not so we know all about these people from 5,000 years ago. There's things that God's trying to communicate. There's one more that's our last book of the Bible and in several spaces um, in the Old Testament as well, and that's apocalyptic literature. Um, That is unusual, and as I'm talking about the different genres, think about how we need to think differently about these types. Okay? And the better we understand how they function and how they're different, it helps us read them and understand the message better. That's the whole point of this lesson tonight. Uh, This author, Randolph Tate, he says, even a casual reader knows that a poem must be read and interpreted differently from a recipe. We know that an obituary must be read differently than a comic strip and a re- research paper differently than a love letter. This clearly demonstrates there's an intimate relationship, think carefully about this sentence, between a piece of literature's form, how it works, how it's put together, and its content, our understanding, right? We need to know how it works so we understand what it says. Because the Bible's genres also convey meaning in diverse ways, it's in It's essential to know the traits of the particular type of scripture that one is working with. So we are going to be in Philippians in two weeks. We did an overview or an introduction to Philippians a couple months ago. We want to come back to that and look at this genre tonight. Uh, This author, again, assesses the issue rightly. Inattention to genre or literature type ultimately precipitates an inattention to meaning. Have you ever heard somebody take a verse from the epistles out of context? There's a famous one in Philippians 4.13, right? That is not what that is about, how we often hear that. We're going to talk about that. This means that a consideration of the type of scripture is an absolute must for proper interpretation. Having said this, it's important that we remember as Orthodox Christians, we believe in the clarity of scripture. Scripture. So just because there's a form, and we may feel like even as we start a discussion like this, well, I don't understand how those forms work differently. What I want to encourage you in is that's okay. We're just continuing to work and develop our skills. And even as I highlight some of the methodology, the practices that we can put in place, you will get better and better as you simply give yourself to reading the scriptures and seeking to do it well. To say that the Bible is understandable includes believing that different parts of the Bible are understandable when you begin to grasp the way they function, their rules, their characteristics. So as we set out to study the characteristics of the epistles, we should be reminded that we are dealing with the hermeneutic of a clear text in the hands of a good God. He wants us to understand what he says. But that doesn't mean he makes it easy or something that we do without work. There's a part of that where we have to labor for the fruit that he offers us in his word. We should be reminded that this clear word is from our God who calls himself our helper. All right, the nature of the epistles. The letters of the ancient Hellenistic world had a conventional form. Understanding this can begin to help us understand the message of the letter. We're going to work really quickly through these five aspects of an epistle, all right? Um, First, salutation. On your page, I think that's a blank space, right? Salutation. This includes the name of the author, um, the name of the recipients, and a greeting. So look at Philippians chapter 1 and tell me where is the salutation, Tell me the verses, where it's marked out. Yeah, just verses 1 one and 2, right? We're going to talk about this a little bit more as we go. The standard Greek salutation used in, in classical Greek, in secular Greek, it used this word karen for greeting. But in Paul's epistles, he changed the word to the distinctly Christian charis, for grace. And then he always, almost always inserts a traditional Jewish greeting. Shalom, peace. Have you noticed that in Paul's letters? Grace and peace, right? He's bringing together, even in those two words, diverse group of people under the banner of Jesus Christ. Often Paul will speak of his apostleship, mentioning his co-workers as well in the gospel. Clues to the main purpose of the letter can often be found in our salutation. The second uh, aspect of form is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. The Thanksgiving section, as a rule, ends the salutation. So you may begin to start looking through Philippians and say, well, where's the Thanksgiving section? Paul will follow the standard Greek form, giving thanks to God in every one of his epistles except one. Which epistle does he leave a Thanksgiving out? Do you know? Galatians. Yep. Why does he do that? (coughs) Because this isn't this isn't the encouragement that the other letters are meant to be this letter because of their doctrinal deviation is meant to leave that out that's supposed to catch our attention to say this is a rebuke right that's the strongest letter he writes so even the form and the absence of an element is telling us something about the message right do you see it's emphasizing Paul's disapproval with the church The fact that he lectures and rebukes them indicates he sees little reason to commend their faith. The thanksgiving also sometimes gives the basic purpose of the letter. So tell me, looking quickly, very briefly, I think you can see it. Where's the thanksgiving section in Philippians? What are the verses? Go ahead and call it out. Three, three, one, three through eleven. Correct. Absolutely. All right, the next section is body. On your list, number three, the body. This is frequently the largest part of the epistle. It's far lengthier and more complex than normal Greek letters. The body of the letter addresses the need or problem of the recipient's head on. Now, the next element is exhortation. It's called something more technical. But I think what's difficult about this is seeing where one happens as opposed to the other. And I'm, we're not going to go through all the middle section of Philippians, but I think we can see two parts that are a little bit different. All right, um, About the body, its contents are frequently diverse. The epistles do reveal a similar pattern. The body often begins with an introductory formula. I beseech you or I would not have you be ignorant, brothers. It can include future plans or goals or travel materials. The exhortation section is where Paul tailors ethical materials to fit specific needs. So one author notes that these act not as a rule book for solving every problem of life, rather they are examples or illustrations of how the gospel is to take effect in the lives of those people being addressed. This material often includes lists of virtues and vices, Prolonged exhortations and instructions on a particular topic. So I just want to give you an example. 112 through26 is part of the body of the letter. It's not immediately telling them what they need to be doing. But the exhortation then, is found in 127 through 218. "Have this mind in you that was also in Christ." That's an extended exhortation. right? And it seems like that goes back and forth a little bit in Philippians. That will be seen as we study the book. So number three was body, number four is exhortation, number five is closing. The conclusion of the New Testament epistles share formal characteristics with those Greek letters in things like a wish for peace, a concluding autograph, or the name again, and greetings from third parties. In addition, a benediction is placed where the farewell would have occurred in these Greek letters. So another New Testament scholar refers to the epistles as the most basic of the genre category. So he's saying most of us are pretty familiar with these letters. Now here's the problem. We know a lot about the content, some of the particulars. I don't think we know very well how they fit together as a whole and what the overall message is. And therefore, we're in very grave danger of pulling them out and saying, I want this to apply to me in this way because it sounds really good here and I can see where that might apply to my life. And what we're doing, that may or may not be right, but what we're doing is neutering the real message of the text. So we want to say, though I understand a lot about the epistles, I have portions of it memorized, I want to be careful to get the whole thing in mind before I start to section it out. Okay, so that's what we'll talk about next, the historical context. There are a number of contexts that we could talk about. Historical interpretation seeks to understand the historical cultural context of an epistle. You need to know something about what's happening to them then. Okay, I'm going to give you an illustration of this. Some of you have seen this before. I want us to see it many times. This involves us asking important and interrelated questions about the occasion. So here's what you need to know about epistles. This word, occasion. What is the occasion that Paul is writing to? What's happening in the life of the Philippians that he's saying, I need you to hear this message. That will help you get the meaning. If you don't understand any of that context, it's just kind of words on a page. Logical arguments and run-on sentences. And you're saying, Paul, why are you writing like that? Or you might be thinking, well, who cares? The New Testament epistles are occasional in nature. They were written to a specific people or churches dealing with specific issues. Here's the danger. uh, I'm going to illustrate this in just a minute. Here's the danger of saying, okay, here's the text. Let me immediately run to application. We miss the main message, and the text can't mean today what it never meant then. We need to know what it meant then. So that takes some work and some study and some patience and some understanding that immediacy and me individually is not the only thing that happens in the text. I will get wonderful application when I work around and understand what is he saying to them then what is this telling me about God, then what is this saying to me? Since the epistles are letters intended to address specific circumstances, their specific context is vital in interpretation, and their occasional nature must always be kept in view. What is happening to them then? Okay. They must be heard within the context in which they were written. Therefore, the more we know about the situation of the original audience, the better we'll understand the meaning and purpose of each letter, as well as how the message can be applied today. Now, here's the hardship with epistles that you need to start getting your mind around. This is like a one-sided phone conversation. We don't know what they said to Paul. All we know is what Paul said back to them. And so if we're saying we need to know the historical setting, what if Paul didn't tell us? And there's a lot of things Paul doesn't tell us. So how do we know what this is about? The answer is really simple. Read the letter. Most of the information that God wants us to have is included in the text. Author Sidney Grenadis adds a crucial and indispensable reminder, the scriptures themselves provide much of the necessary historical background. Pointing to the sufficiencies of scripture, he writes, Fortunately, the letters themselves frequently provide sufficient information for gaining a general idea of the historical situation. So think of it as an illustration. Think of this illustration. Pay attention to repetition. Pay attention to who's being addressed, the subject. Pay attention to the verbs. You're going to have to think carefully. You have to be a little bit disciplined. You have to grow in your skills. You have to stir up within you a desire to keep learning, not just assuming you know what's on these page, these pages. So one memorable example in our book of Philippians is the 16 occurrence of the word group for joy. But it's not just a stoic, don't worry, be happy You need to understand what Paul is saying brings you joy. How do you have joy in hard circumstances? So I want to draw you the picture that some of you have seen well, okay? Here's our text. Now we aim right here. We have to know in an epistle, them, then, all right? Then we wanna say, okay, what is this telling me about the gospel? Why is Paul telling them in Philippians two have this same mind that was in Christ Jesus? What does that tell us they didn't have? What is their problem? And then how does he address their problem? Tells them about Jesus. That's a great example of what we talked about a few weeks ago, right? He's telling them have this mind. That's what they're to become. And he helps them get there by telling them who to behold, right? And then we come to us now at the end, right? So this is helpful uh, lessons that we've gotten from Simeon Trust over the years. We worked through the first principles class. Um, that's available online. Um, as an elective, we did that over the summer. Um, we'll offer that again. But the phrase or the, the saying they say with this, that's I found to be very true, very helpful, it helps me slow down and be intentional, is the long way around is the safest way home. You don't come up with pardon my description, dumb applications of Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, and that means win this athletic contest (laughs) if you do this pathway. You understand the verses around aren't talking about Paul winning some race. And I think that's part of what we're trying to make the instinct and intent of our hearts and our minds as we think through this. Um, Let me move quickly to the end on the last page. Um, The melodic line of Philippians. Let's do this in like three minutes. You're at the beginning of the book. I want you to flip to the last few verses of the book. Okay, you have the verses listed there. 4, 14, and 15. So what you want to do is here at the beginning of the book and at the end, because it's a letter, he's going to introduce some of the main things he wants the the Philippian church to know. And by the time he's done, he wants to tell them again what it is he's told them. Right? He's going to repeat himself. These authors are good at writing letters. They do it very intentionally. They have a message that they want to communicate. So let's look at these few verses here at the beginning. Philippians 1, 3 through 5, and then Philippians 4, 14 and 15. I'll read them, and you see if you can pick up, if you can hear some repetition. Paul writes in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now. Now, verse 14 of chapter four. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Let's take 30 seconds and see what we identified in both places. What, what are some of the repeated ideas? Partnership, partnership okay? That's a theme in this book, right? This letter. What else? Gospel. gospel, right? Paul is passionate about the gospel continuing in this letter. What else? Gratitude. Okay, there's gratitude. What else did I hear? Good works. Okay, there's good works. Anything else? There's a sense where there's some kind of struggle. Now, he doesn't ex- explicitly say that, but that's going to be a major part of the book. So I won't yet give you the melodic line. I think I did give you at least some melodic line. I want you to work on this on your own. One of the things that I have listed for you at the end is how to begin to understand a book for yourself. Um, There are five things I've written there for you or recorded for you. All of these are coming from things that sources that I've looked at and been helped by. And I want to encourage you as we begin to get closer to picking back up where we were in chapter one, read the whole book. Over and over, as you can, begin to to pay attention. Where's repetition? Where's the emphasis? What's happening in this church? Why is Paul saying this? How is this paragraph related to that paragraph? When we pull them apart, we usually lose the meaning. Okay? Okay? I hope this is just maybe wetting your appetite for how to study the epistles, how to think through what we're going to do in Philippians. I'd encourage you, um, as you find things, as they stand out, I want you to do two things. I want you to tell another member, maybe of your life group in the church family, and say, look at what I found as I've been studying Philippians. And I would love for you to tell me, uh, shoot me an email, a text. Uh, let's have a face-to-face conversation. One of the most encouraging things we can do is tell each other, what is God teaching us from his word? Where are we seeing as we practice these skills, God opening up his word to us? All right, let's close with a word of prayer. It is 6.01, so I'm one minute late, but we're good. All right, you got about 29 minutes to get home. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this body. Thank you for the hands and feet that are going out to share the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would give us a deep conviction that we are not meant to end as a training center, but we are meant to go out and speak the truth to our neighbors and our loved ones and our friends and our coworkers. We're to build and encourage each other. We're to build each other up. So Lord, may we use what we're learning for the sake of the advancement of the gospel, for the building up of the body, and all for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.